Amen. Good morning, Decided Church. How are we today? Guys, I don't know, you weren't in the first service, but the first service I broke this mic, and I'm so happy that it's back again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He is, he is alive and out of the tomb. He has resurrected this thing. Amen. Woo! All right, anyway, for those of you, I know there's a lot of first-timers here, so let me just give you a little bit of information on what we're doing. We are currently in the middle of a sermon series entitled Steward, where we're going uh, verse by verse through the book of James, and of course you can see our little tagline, how to work your faith. What does faith look like in the midst of our lives? What makes a Christian look different? How does it affect each aspect of my life? What should it look like, right? I mean, it's pretty basic. We think, oh, well, God's given me money. How can I be a good steward of that? God's given me these gifts. How can I be a good steward of that? God's given me responsibilities. How can I be a good steward of that? But also God has given you faith. How can you be a good steward of that as well? And so we'll be uh, reading in James chapter 3, starting in verses 1 all the way to verse 12. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can join. Uh, So if you want to stand with us, we will read the passage together and then we will sit down for the rest of the time until the last song. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you're more than welcome to join us on the screen. This is what the Word of God says in James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, We curse human beings who are made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word today. And as we touch a topic that is so easily applicable, God, I just pray that you would come down and that you would fill our hearts and our minds, God, that you would give us spirits to listen, that you'd be able to help us become more like you and your son, Jesus, through this message. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Do I have any uh, video gamers here in the house? I know the Parsons should be the first ones with their hands up. I know you guys love the video games. Anybody else? Any video gamers? Come on, Bobby. Don't be embarrassed. If you do it for 10 hours of the day, you got to raise your hand, okay? I'm just kidding, Bobby. Anyway, uh, I'm not a big video gamer. I haven't played video games probably in about eight years, but except for maybe once or twice uh, whenever I have all my brothers in one spot and we have nothing else to do, which usually we're throwing a, a sports ball anyway. But anyway, um, the reason I bring that up is because back in high school, me and my dad had this rivalry. And uh, we used to play Madden 2008 any day that I knew that he was going to be off. That's right, Madden 2008. Yeah. Vince Young on the front cover. Anybody remember that guy? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Vince Young. How did he ever get on a Madden cover? That's embarrassing. But anyway, 
Uh, my dad was just as much of a flop at Madden 2008 as Vince Young was a quarterback in the NFL, nonetheless. Because what would happen is we'd have this little post-it note on the front of, of our Madden 2008 little holder, and uh, it would be me, and then it would be dad. That's literally what it said, me and dad. And every time we would win, whoever won gets a tick, gets a little nick. And so I remember we used to play almost every day, but I remember about – I was probably like up seven ticks to three and I'd, you know, I'd always text him when he was at work and I was at school. Probably shouldn't have been there, but Dad didn't care. So I'd text him, like, Dad, you ready to go down when you get off, when I get out of school today? And he would say this saying every single time. I swear to you, I literally would be bashing him, and he would just say this every single time. Every single time he'd say this. If you're going to talk the talk, you better be able to walk the walk. Everybody knows that saying, right? Well, what I think is so funny is that within the Christian realm, I, I, I find that it's a little bit different. See, the reason I, I think that a lot of us Christians can't walk the Christian walk is because we can't even get past the first part, which is talking the Christian talk, right? I mean, it's pretty easy to talk the talk in, our, in real life unless you're with Clay and you're talking nuclear power. That goes downhill real fast. But nonetheless, we know that talking the talk is pretty easy, but walking the walk isn't. Well, within the Christian realm, we can't really ever walk the walk unless we first talk the Christian talk, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. If, the, if you like uh, taking notes and you have a little title space for you, it's called Talk the Talk. That's what I named this sermon today. And, and as we begin, I just wanted to give a few fun facts about talking because, well, I don't know if you know, but I love doing it. It's one of my favorite hobbies. I spend a lot of my time talking. And so did you know, fun fact, you spend one-fifth of your life talking to someone else. That means Jim, who's almost 40, has... <laughs> has talked for at least eight years of his life. Isn't that amazing? I'm just kidding. He's only 38. <laughs> oh, that was such a good joke. I had to say it again. Anyway, hey, listen, to give Jim a break, I probably talked eight years of my life, and I'm only 28. So there's that, Jim. You have that. Amen to that, right? Hey, listen, did you know that doesn't even, one-fifth of your life spent talking, that doesn't even include the time you talk to yourself. So Jim might go up a little bit more. Um, anyway, did you know the average man speaks about 20,000 words a day? 20,000 words a day. And for women, it's even more. It's, uh, average women speaks about 30,000 words a day with gusts up to 50,000 words a day. So gusts, right? <laughs> Depending on how ag- upset they are at their husband. Uh, anyway, I'm probably closer to the women's, you know, 50,000 words a day. I'm, I'm, I'll embrace it. I'm a talker. I love to talk. I got the gift of gab from my mother. You can thank her. That means, that means if you were to write a book with every word you said in one year, you would have 66 800-page books in one year with every word that you've ever said. So this sermon, this message that James has for us is super applicable because we all have a lot of them. No matter how little or how much you talk, it's always going to be something to be applied. So we're just going to go verse by verse. And what I love about James is he starts off in verse 1 and he gives a very specific challenge. And he addresses a group of people. And you might be thinking, why is he addressing this group of people? Well, great question, because I'm going to answer it for you. And he says this, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. To give a little background information, just so you remember, if we remember chapter 2, he talks about uh, favoritism within the church, how there's a lot of partiality. We, we see a rich man come into the church and we see a poor man, and because he's rich, we actually show him more favor. We give him a seat at the table. We treat him better than we treat the poor man. And James says, that is not a good thing. And the reason I think he shifts gears here uh, to teachers is because I believe teachers is that one group within the church that was finding a specific place at the table, a specific place at the banquet. We can actually see that in Matthew chapter 
23, verses 5 through 7, which will be up here. It says this, Everything they do, talking about the rabbis, is done for people to see. They make phylacteries wide and tassels of their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. By the way, that word rabbi, which is the name for teacher in Hebrew, actually means my great one. So even within the name implies a place of authority, a place of power. And so what's happening by the way, a phylactery, if you're wondering, like, what is that? A phylactery was a box that was on a necklace. And in that box was a scroll. And on that scroll was every single memory verse you've ever memorized in your whole life. And so these, these rabbis would get these big boxes. Probably had a little scroll in there, but they had these big boxes. So it looked like they knew a lot of scripture. And so he's saying, hey, listen, that's, you did it all for C. That's, that's garbage. And so what happens is these Jewish Christians, right, they used to be Jewish. They see the rabbis. They know about the rabbis. They know the power and the position. They get into the Christian church, and they hear this theological co- concept, right? Every member of the body is important for the building up of the church, right? That is something true and something that we believe as a church. Well, what happens is, is people within the Jewish culture hear that, and they're like, oh my gosh, here's my opportunity. This is my platform. This is the way that I'm going to be able to find myself in a place to teach. They used this church as a platform for a chance of something they never had a chance before. And so what they do is they would rush into teaching without thinking about it. They would emerge, teachers were emerging left and right in the church without a true calling. And he's saying, hey, listen, this needs to be avoided at all costs. You're trying to find a seat at the table. You're trying to find a a place in the market. And I just condemned that. Now I'm going to talk to you specifically. And he's saying, hey, listen, he's saying, listen, this, this is something that you need to get away from. As a matter of fact, um, CIU professor Don Hamilton, I think he was quoting Howard Hendricks actually when he says this, but he said this. He said, listen, if you as a Christian can do anything else other than teach and not be miserable, you should do that. He said the seriousness, the, the severity of this passage when you look at James chapter 3 verse 1, the, the strictness of the judging is so serious. And if, and if you're not careful, the only reason you should be teaching, the only reason I should be on this stage is because God called me to do so. Because otherwise you have put yourself in a position, in a place where more judgment is happening. And so he's saying, listen, I, I love that quote by Don Hamilton. He said, if you can do anything else other than teach and, be, and not be miserable, do that thing. And so we see that. He's like, listen, this favoritism, this, this garbage where you're coming up and trying to be a teacher so you can get a place to the table, you need to cut that out because guess what? You're coming under more judgment because you're using it to lord over people. You're using it for influence and persuasion. And you're not taking it seriously. But what I love about him is, is he, he, he pumps the brakes a little bit. He says, don't worry, teachers. Don't worry. It's not just you. And he goes to verse 2 and, he's, and he says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the body, whole body in check. By the way, if I wrote that, it would say, you all stumble in many ways. I wouldn't have included myself in that one. But James is a nice guy. He's, he's an honest guy. And so he says, we all stumble in many ways. And I love what James does there in that passage because he points out the importance of the tongue when it comes to the reflection of our Christian maturity. He's saying, listen, if you want to Figure out how your heart is, where you are in your relationship with Christ, how you're doing in your spiritual journey. Guess what? Just see what's coming out. And as a matter of fact, 
Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 11. And, and what happens in this passage, just to give you a little background before we read it, he's, it's the Jewish teachers are coming up to Jesus and Jesus and his disciples are eating. And what happens is Jesus, Jesus' disciples' hands are disgusting and they begin to eat. And the Jewish leaders are like, whoa, 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 bro, y'all breaking all of that is nasty. Why did you not wash your hands? Don't you know that makes you unclean? And then Jesus comes back with this rebuttal. He says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. He says, listen, you're worried about the dirtiness that goes in with the dirty hands, but really what happens is is inside of you is where the filth is found. Because guess what? For out of the heart is where the mouth speaks. And he says, "What basically what you can say is what's down in the well will come up in the bucket. Listen, this your tongue, it isn't a thermostat. It can't control. You can't control it. Your heart is, is, is the thermostat. Your, your, your tongue is only a thermometer. And so if you, want, if you want a heat check, if you want a spiritual heart check, that's where you go. You go to the tongue. What is coming out? He addresses that specifically. From out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can't hold back what's inside because it's out of the heart that come all evilness, all greed, all covetousness, all those things. You can read that passage. It's a great one. And then he goes on in verses 3 through 8 to explain the power of our words. The power of our words. And what I love about James is he's the master illustrator, right? He's the pastor's pastor. He's like Warren Wiersbe of the Bible. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you guys know him. If you don't, he's my favorite. He gives us six metaphors of the mouth. He calls the mouth a bit in the mouth of horses. Excuse me, the tongue. And then he talks about how it's a rudder of a ship. And he talks about how it's a spark that starts a forest fire. He talks about how it's an untamed beast. He talks about how it's a poison. And he talks about how it's a spring. Six metaphors of the mouth. And as we said in the very first sermon of James, a lot of the things we see, a lot of the truths that we see within James, we can find in Proverbs because the book of James is to the New Testament. The book of Proverbs is into the Old Testament. And so there's a specific scripture here, uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And it says this, the tongue. Within the tongue lies the power of life and death. And then it says this, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, the saying I came up with this morning as I was reading and preparing was this, is if you don't want to eat it, don't say it. You ever, you ever got yourself in a situation where you have to eat your own words? You know, it's so funny as this, this scripture warns us, it says, listen, if you don't want to eat your, if you don't want to eat whatever you say, then don't say it. If you don't want to eat it, don't say it. If we look closely uh, within verses three through five, a where he talks about it um, being a bit in the mouth of a horse and a rudder of a ship, he's showing that our words actually give direct, give us direction. I don't know much about boats, and I'm sure if you want to talk to someone about boats, Karen Doty could help you. So I'll take James's word for it on that. But what I do know a little bit about is horses. I actually grew up on a dairy farm, the same one uh, Billy Graham grew up on. No, I'm just kidding. Mine was cooler. Mine was way cooler. So I'm familiar with horses. My uncle liked them a lot more than my family did, but that's cool. And I remember as a six, seven-year-old kid hopping up on this horse, man. And this, I mean, it's a massive beast. Like, I'm a, I'm a little child. I'm like, this thing could toss me. It could stomp me. I could die. You know, I'm freaking out the whole time. And I'm, he throws me up on the saddle. And he's like, listen, all you have to do is kick it to make it go, right? It's like a, it's like a car. Kick it to make it go. And then you, you pull this one, it goes left. You pull this one, it goes right. And I remember riding the horse for the first time and thinking, wow, I feel so powerful, right? Like I'm in control of this massive beast. And the, and the beast should know how small I am, right? Like the beast should know it could take me. This horse 
could definitely take me, and it should know that it could take me. It's a pretty smart animal. You know what I'm saying? But what I find so funny about that is in the same way, the words of our mouth, no matter the size, can literally control the course of our lives. See, if you can change the way you speak, it can change the course of your life. Perhaps there's something that you're after. I'm not sure what it is, where you're at. Maybe it's a job promotion. But maybe the only thing that's holding you back is your tongue. And I, I find it funny because I, at least I think that my tongue really is my greatest asset. No offense. I'm just really good at talking. It's cool, you know. But I also know that it's my greatest liability as well. <laughs> because, man, can I get myself in a hole real quick? I'm used to the taste of my shoes. Let's just put it that way. Um, what I also love about words is that it can control the lives of others. We can see that in Proverbs 15, verse 1. It talks about how a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I deal with this a lot at Chick-fil-A. I don't know if you guys know, but I work at Chick-fil-A, and I, I deal with the disgruntled customers who get their wrong food. And, man, you, would, you wouldn't believe. You, you might think, wow, no one ever hates Chick-fil-A. Well, let me tell you, there's a long line, and I'm at the, I'm at the front of it, and they're waiting to get to me, right? You know, oh, the injustice of incorrect chicken. You know, like, come on, bro. Anyway, um, with that, sometimes, you know, people can catch me off guard. People come in, and I don't know they're angry, and I come over, and I'm talking to them, and, boy, they catch me off guard, and I'm shook, and I'm like, oh, like, don't talk to me like that, boy. You better back off before I get, do something to get fired. Anyway, um, and I, it's, it's so funny because I think in every situation, if you really look at it, there's two things happening, right, when it comes to your words. Either you are controlling the person you're interacting with or the person you're intera- interacting with is controlling you. There's no middle ground there. And so some custom- customers, they come at me hard. They come at me furious. They come at me outraged, right? They got the wrong chicken. Guess what? By the end of the time that they're dealing with me, I have them eating out of the palm of my hand. There's usually chicken at the, in, at the, in my palm of my hand, no offense. But at the end of the day, man, I've had people apologize for their attitude and invite me over for dinner. Hey, can we hang out sometime? I'm like, bro, you were just hating me 10 seconds ago. And it's because I've been able to realize, like, uh, when people come in, right, we're, we're image bearers. It's a part of our DNA. It's our nature. And so what happens is not only do we bear the image of God, but we also bear the image of each other. It's scientifically proven. That's why smiles are contagious. When you come into contact with somebody who's heated, when somebody who's hot, it's instantly easy for you to get exactly the same way, no matter your attitude at all. You could be having the greatest day, and then someone comes in and wrecks it. Everybody been there? Anybody say amen to that one? Somebody come in and wreck your day with a bad ass? Hey, listen, I'm trying to stay away from negative people, man. That's a part of my, my mantra, so I need you to get, No, you can't do that at Chick-fil-A. And so people come in, and I remember, listen, either this person can control me, or I can control them. And that's exactly the way you got to think. Um, so words not only control your life, they control the lives of others. You can make people do what you want with their words. You can, I shouldn't say that. That's not good. That's not a good thing to say. (laughs) Sorry, Facebook Live. My bad. Okay, also in verses 5b through 8, he talks about how not only do our words give us direction, but they also can bring destruction. He uses the two analogies, how from a small spark becomes a forest fire. And what I love about that is it really gets to the uncontrollable aspect of the damage words can do, right? Like, has anybody seen any pictures of what's happened on the West Coast from all those forest fires? I mean, it is so sad to see all the hurting towns and cities and people. And what's amazing is it's going to take years. I mean, absolute long, drawn-out years for those people in those towns to recover, right? In the same way, 
It can take years to undo the damage done by a single careless word. Years. Years of therapy. Years of prison time. You don't know the effect your words can have. They have so much power. He also talks about how it's a tameless beast. Has anybody here been to SeaWorld? We got some SeaWorld lovers in here. Come on, raise some hands. I love SeaWorld. People all about Disney World. Listen, I could care less about Disney World. I couldn't care less. That's the thing. I couldn't care less about Disney World. Don't get me wrong. I like it. But when I remember my time in Florida, I remember SeaWorld so graphically. It is so much cooler than Disney World. SeaWorld's probably going to call me with like, hey, you want to do that on TV? Yeah, I will. But anyway, um, but what I thought was so cool about SeaWorld, of course, the, the main event, right, Shamu. Anybody seen Shamu? Man, that is amazing. First of all, I want to meet the man who saw a wild killer whale and said, oh, bro, I bet I can tame that thing. Like, who thought of that? And don't get me wrong, Shamu probably ate somebody last week. Don't get me wrong. They still got some work to do. But it's amazing some of the things that they can, that they can like, make that whale do. The whale is really desperate for fish, man. That's what happens when you put them in a big old fish tank with nothing to eat, you know, get them to do whatever you want. Anyway, I just think it's so crazy. But catch this. This is what James is saying. Hey, listen, just as crazy as that Shamu killer whale was, like the, the big full display at the very end where you see the the swimmer on his nose and he jumps up in the middle of the air and the swimmer's like this big compared to kill it like Shamu, right? I mean, that's amazing. He's saying, listen, if you can find a mature Christian who can tame his tongue, that's more impressive. That's more impressive than Shamu, than we could ever teach Shamu to do anything because that's an untamable beast. We should be putting that on display. When people come to you, do they, do they, are they in shock and awe? Do you draw a crowd because of the way that you control your tongue, the way that Shamu does the way that we're able to get people to crowds, thousands upon thousands of people each and every day come and see this big old killer whale. That's amazing to me. He's saying that's the same thing. It's bigger for a Christian that has tamed his tongue. That is, to temper your tongue that way is more impressive than what you ever could do with a Shamu. And listen, I am, I'm preaching out of a weakness here. Y'all already know. All y'all know me well enough to know that I am not, I am not good with words. I struggle very hard with them. Well, as in that I don't control them well. They kind of control me. They really do determine the course of my life. Especially even joking around, right? Even when we joke, this is what re- is really hard for me. Even when we joke around, there is still power in our words. Um, and, and what's so crazy is that words affect other people differently. Everybody ever heard of the five love languages? I made one for the five love languages of dude. I'm not going to go through them like I did the first service. So, But... You know, like, you each have one. There's gift-giving, quality time, acts of service, t- physical touch, and words of affirmation. Well, if you were to revamp them and make ones for dudes, instead of words of affirmation, it would just be trash talk. Like, I love trash talking to people, right, Bobby? I'd be, ta- be trash talk. Bobby, that's all you're going to lift? 90 pounds? Bro, get up. Get out of here. Anyway, I'm just messing, Bobby. Um, but listen, if I love you, I'm probably going to trash talk you a little bit. That's just how I work. It's how I tick. It's how I'm made. But... I do that with my best, my best friend Tyson. Literally, I call him, and he, he's like, he answers the phone. He says, what's up, trash can? And I said, what's up, turd nugget? Exactly. You're, you're just bigger than a, you're the biggest nugget I've ever seen, so really like a turd tender. You know, something stupid like that. He used to work at Chick-fil-A with us, so um, that's just how we show each other love, right? And, um, but I, I did that with another friend of mine, and uh, he didn't last too long. He couldn't take it. He left me for another man, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but anyway, so... We just got to be careful. I, I'm not saying that you can't joke like that, but you just got to know how it affects other people because some people can't take Some people don't have thick skin and they take it seriously and 
they probably have daddy problems or something. Or, I mean, it could be. No, I'm being serious. It could be anything. There could be anything in their life where that affects them differently. And so just be sensitive to that. I also have a, a few other things I just wanted to throw out. Whenever I have a situation and I really want to spout out things and I, I want to say things that I shouldn't say, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit really pricks up these specific verses in my mind, and so I thought I'd share them with you. And I hope maybe these are some things God can use in your life if you want to memorize them. Um, this is Proverbs 10, uh, verse 19. It says, Where there are many words, there is much transgression. But he who restrains his whips, lips is wise. And I, that's one of my main prayers that I have to God every day. God, would you just give me wisdom? And a lot of the times, he just says, well, then shut up. <laughs> um, and then Proverbs seventeen twenty eight: even a fool, even a fool seems wise when he holds his tongue. So I can trick people. I'm a fool, but guess what? If I just shut up, you won't think I am. You'll think I'm wise. That's awesome. Um, you guys ever heard this, the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? It's completely untrue. False. Did you know some of the worst pain and some of the greatest joys will be brought to you by words alone? All it takes is a word. I also have some other preliminary thoughts, just a conglomerate of things that I wanted to talk about while I was here. Your words are a witness and your tongue is a testimony. Did you know that every single one of us here in this room will have to give an account for every vain and idle word that we speak? That's found in Matthew 12, verse 36. I didn't have it up here, but you can look at that on your own time. Also, another thing that it's easy to do is um, when somebody's talking badly, it's easy to hop in, right? I mean, it's always like, oh, somebody's bashing somebody. Let me get in and say something. This is fun. I get a free lick, you know? Uh, let me. A free lick means like a free hit. I don't know if you guys know what that is. I, I'm using words you might not know. Anyway, let me get a free lick. Um, that sounds weird if you don't know what a lick is. All right. Anyway... Long story, don't allow, don't let someone use your ears as garbage cans. I can be more intentional about this. I'm not very good at it. I used to be really bad in hopping in and ripping out someone. And I can still do that every once in a while if I, if I like the person. But most of the time I just hop out of the conversation. But I can even take it a step further and say, hey, listen, let's mash that. Let's not talk about that. It's not, a, it's not an appropriate conversation to have. Um, I'm not good at that, so... Take it or leave it. I'm not living that one by example. Um, also, another thing is our words show our character. Um, my number one pet peeve. Oh, my gosh. I can't stand this. When, peop when people don't do what they say they're going to do. Oh, my gosh. At the end of the day, listen, when we're all laid bare at the end of time, and it's just me, you, Jesus, God, all the peoples, right? The only thing that we're going to have is our word. Did you know that? The only thing. It's the only thing we'll have in heaven that we have here besides our resurrected body. We only have the same body. We'll have a resurrected one, one with a six-pack, you know. Um, <laughs> but we'll still have our words. And, and, here's, and here's the thought, right? Like, if you can't even keep that, how can you ever be trusted? It's my number one pet peeve. Your words show your character, and your follow-through on your words show your character. Also, I just want to say this, words are necessary. I'm not telling anybody here to take a vow of silence. That's a waste of time because it literally says that we can't tame it. And, and there's this saying, I don't know why I even put this in here. I was just on my high horse when I was preparing the sermon. But it, there's this saying that says, preach the gospel, use words if you have to. Anybody heard that? I hate that saying. I'm sorry. Like, if you write it on Facebook, I would delete it if I could. And I would dislike it if there's a dislike button. But I can't, and I won't, and I shouldn't because that would not be the nice thing to do. But 
Listen, how can anybody know the difference between a genuine Christian and just an altruistic atheist, a, a happy-go-lucky guy who's just loving the world if we don't use words? Words are necessary. Preach the gospel. Words are necessary, and you can also live it out too. Something like that. That's how I would rephrase that one. Okay? So use your words. Don't go into a vow of silence. Just use them for good. Use them for the encouragement, edification of people around you. All right, that's all I have for random thoughts. Let's go on to verses 9 through 12. And, he, and he's, um, he says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can fig tree bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I love what James does here is he, he uses um, specific things within nature, right? Nature is something that is very consistent, right? He uses something consistent to show the inconsistencies of the human heart and how it differs so much. And he's, he's basically saying, hey, listen, if we're going to be people who deal with the fruit, which is our words, we're going to have to start with the root. And so our words can't change. They won't change unless something happens in our heart, right? No amount of reformation, no amount of education can fix your words, only a transformation, and only God can do that. And this is something we have to be intentional for asking for. And, and this is where it really says, okay, well, where's rubber hit the road, Will? What do I need to do about my words? It's not just about holding on to your tongue and not saying things. Yeah, that helps to not say things sometimes. And but at the end of the day, it's asking God to change something inside of me. And I, and I have a, a few verses that I pray. Sometimes I'm praying and I just don't like praying. So I like forget what I'm praying. Or I think about things that I'm not supposed to be thinking about when I'm praying. Like, I wonder what I'm having for dinner tonight. It's like the first thing I go to every time. But anyway, um, um, these are just some, some scriptures that I pray, right? Like, oh, if I just can't pray anything that I make up on my own. Let me just, God's made up a bunch in the Psalms. Those are literally, Psalms means prayers. So here's some Psalms that I really like. Psalm 1914, which is the bottom one. It says, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart. You see the connection there, mouth and heart? Be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And here's uh, Psalm 141.3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. So the question I have for you today, church, is, is what is the one thing that is consistently coming out of your mouth? Is it praise and worship to God our Father, or is it the tearing down of others? Is it the destruction of those around you? See, James was dealing with this within the Christian church. People were praising God, and then as soon as they would leave, they would curse one another. And he's saying, listen, the same God that you just worshipped in church, you're literally cursing those who are made in His likeness and His image, right? The image bearer of, we're image bearers of God, and I love that he talks about that because the image bearer of God is literally the heartbeat of the Christian ethic. It's the essential belief within our foundation, our foundational doctrine that determines our morality, right? Like if I come across a person who might think that we're, we're just, uh, we came from a random chaos, we're, we're, you know, the universe is, he believes in evolution, we're just randomly here, we have no ties, no means, I don't have to account for anything that I do, I usually always ask them this question, why do you treat other humans well? If I'm not held accountable, if I 
if I, you know, if, if I'm just a random occurrence, why, what makes me, what, what with inside me makes me treat any other person well? If I thought that, I would just take advantage of everyone. It'd be about me, 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 me. And usually they come up with some sly answer. In the way, usually it's shallow. And, you know, and I say, well, you want to know about the Christian's view. The reason that Christians treat each other well and treat any, should be treating anybody well is because they're made in the image of God. And that image bearer is what gives people an eccentric value. It's what allows, it's literally what forms, what should form all of our decision making, all of our, all the ways that we, we relate to one another. Saying that is what it's about. And you've forgotten it because you're just cursing them. You're literally breaking the main mold within the Christian ethic. And so, as we're closing, I just wanted us to take the time. Um, oh, also, Psalm 12, verse 6. I forgot this one. This one's one of my favorites. This is one uh, that I try to remember. This is one that kind of slips from me, but it, it talks about um, the words of the Lord, right? The word of the Lord, which is the word of God. It, it says this, And the words of the Lord are flawless. That means no imperfections. That means perfect. Like silver, purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. I use this one. It's hard to use because I don't want to use it. But, um, you know, it's like, Will, in a situation that you just want to say what you want to say, think about what you're going to say seven times before you say it. And it would be amazing how quickly you de-escalate in your mind. Even for those seven things like, oh, I'm so mad. And then you start thinking like, well, why am I mad? Um... That thing that you did made me mad. And then you're like, okay, well, why did that make me mad? And then you find out it's really your own insecurity. You know, you, you boil it down. You look at it through different lenses and you see like, wow, I was about to burst out in anger. I was about to say something I shouldn't have said. And really, if I were to look at it closer and refine it seven times like the, word, the words of the Lord are, I would find myself saying something completely different. So... I just want us to take time at the end of our service here just to just to pray to God and just to ask him that that the words of our mouths, that the meditations of our heart would just be worshiped to him. Um, And this and you guys can bow your head and close your eyes. But I just at this time, God, I just pray for anybody here, Father, who who is searching for a heart change. Maybe they don't like the way that they're speaking. Maybe they don't like the way uh, if they're, they're looking at their thermometer and the heat is too high, God, I just pray today that you would come in and that you would do a work in their heart, Father, that you would, and I ask also for Christians that maybe they've noticed that they've been slipping with their tongue. God, I pray that you would help them tame it, that you would come into their heart and just do something only you can do. It's the only way we can ever change. It's the only way we can be different. And so, God, I just pray for a heart change today, Father, that you would come in and attack the root. Father, we want the fruit of our lips to be worshipped to you. We want all glory and all praise to be yours, just as the song we're about to sing says, God. And so we just ask that you would come and do that today. And God, I want to pray for anybody here in this room. Maybe they haven't come to know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe that's their starting point today. Father, I just pray that they would pray a prayer or something like this. Say, Father, think I am so sorry for my sin, the sin that has separated me from you, but I am so grateful today for Jesus Christ, that you came in the flesh through your Son and that you lived a sinless, spotless life, that when you died a death on the cross, you didn't die your own death, but you died mine. 
And God, I, and I accept that through faith. I thank you so much that you have taken the chasm, that you have taken the gap, that you have taken the separation between you and I, and you have dissipated it. You have gotten rid of it through the cross, and you have made me right with you again. Father, we're so, I'm so grateful for that. God, I pray for anybody here in that room, if that's a prayer that they prayed today, God, that you would just come into the life and that you would show them that Christianity is deeper than religion, God. It's a relationship, God. They, they would see that it's, it's living and breathing. It's an organism. It's not just going to church. It's not just reading the Bible. It's not just saying the right words, God, but it's, it's so much deeper than that. Father, I pray for them, and I pray that they would share that with someone here today, that we could celebrate with them. It says in your word that angels are literally shouting their name in heaven, celebrating them. And so, God, I pray that if there's anybody here who prayed today, that they would share that with us, that we might come alongside them, we might pray with them. And so, God, we're just so grateful today. We're so grateful that you have given us words, God. And really, having words is a reflection of your image just as much as anything else. And so, God, we thank you for your word and how it has come into our lives like a double-edged sword and, and, and really separated joint and marrow. And so, God, I just pray that you would help us control our words and that it would be edifying and encouraging to those around us, God. And it wouldn't come out of false motivations, God, but it would come out of a trueness of heart, a heart that only you can take, a heart that was stone, God, that you made into flesh. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.